Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest episode of Good Trouble. My name is Reggie Williams. I am your co-host here with Mr. Gregory Ball, the co-conspirator in chief. Hello, sir. How are you doing this week? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And we're very excited to have Mass Budget's senior analyst and advocacy director, Phineas Baxendall, here today. Finn, how are you doing? Good. Real glad to be here. Excellent. So, Finn, we know that you recently released two reports on the state of small business, what's going on with pandemic-related relief, and some targeted policies that can really help us make sure that small businesses can weather this very difficult time that we're experiencing. Can you give us a little overview on what the state of small business looks like in the Commonwealth? Well, I mean, um, small businesses, like everyone else, you know, were really thrown a loop by the virus. You know, uh, people lost a lot of customers. The small businesses like big businesses, like everyone else, really depend on our kind of basic infrastructure we have of things, you know, that that keep people being able to, you know, get their kids to have schooling, get people, you know, have have income. And one of the things that made just a huge difference was that uh, we had tens of millions, about $33 billion worth of unemployment relief come into the Commonwealth, mostly from the federal government. And that just, you know, really meant that we didn't go into the kind of, you know, tailspin where people just, you know, started just eating beans out of their cupboards type of thing. You know, people still went to stores. It was not the kind of year we wanted, although a lot of large corporations had, huge, huge profits. And we saw, you know, all these stock markets go up, you know, there was a lot of uh, businesses, small and large that were uh, struggling as well. So I have a quick question about that. And listen, when I think about that, and I hear you say that the the large companies did well, how is it that those large companies are kind of able to weather the storm? And it seems like the mom and pops, and those are the stories that are really getting, getting hit the hardest. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, I, I think so, some of it is just that, you know, those who have, you know, power and wealth and are well positioned are then powerful and a well positioned to take advantage of, you know, whatever opportunities it might be. So, I mean, most obvious is something like Amazon that saw a huge opportunity to increase it, its market. But but also, you know, the the large companies were much better at getting things like these PPP loans because, you know, they had the lawyers and the accountants they could send out and do all the paperwork, you know, that you find, you know, sort of like those with less access to power, whether it's, you know, uh, communities of color, whether it's smaller businesses were less likely to apply for and get these kinds of special benefits uh, just because they didn't have those, you know, lawyers and accountants ready to spring on it. Wow. And, you know, it's not lost on me that you said 33 billion with a B in terms of the amount of small business supports that were coming into the Commonwealth. Oh, well, that was sorry. That was uh, that was unemployment insurance for, you know, so for consumers that was, you know, indirectly is helping businesses. Sorry to cut you off, Reggie, but just um, that, you know, this was uh, billions of dollars helping consumers, helping households still have money to spend, which indirectly were helping businesses. It wasn't direct business relief. Sorry. To, no, no, no. Thank you for the clarification. So in line with your report, you know, you outlined three policies that could really help, uh, three targeted tax policies that could really help uh, small businesses. Can you give us an overview of what those policies are and how they can help small businesses? Yeah, Um you know, people often, you know, you'll see almost any time that there's uh, some kind of 
special business help being advocated for, it's done in the name of small business because people rightly admire small businesses and they're you know more um, less loving about giant corporations. Um, but what often happens is that the policies that get passed in the name of supporting small businesses end up mainly supporting large corporations. So what we tried to do is look at, well, what would be policies that would actually really help small businesses in a very targeted way without depriving the public resources that that help all businesses large large and small. So one example of that is is property taxes. You know, property taxes are something really obvious to to people who are paying the, their bills whether they're homeowners, small business owners, etc. And there's a policy that's on the books that every town uh, and city in the commonwealth decides on every year whether it's going to have and what this policy just does is it it just uh, gives a 10% property tax cut to truly kind of small businesses, more like micro businesses, those uh, that are on parcels of land worth less than a million dollars, less those less than kind of 10 employees. So the re real like small, small businesses. And uh, there's only 14 cities and towns in the Commonwealth, which at present choose to do this. What it does is then that property tax burden is, is being then shouldered by other commercial and industrial companies. So generally, you know, you don't hear the chambers of commerce in every city and town are generally, you know, kind of led by the big companies and they do not decide to make it a priority to push more property from the little businesses onto themselves. So right. it tends to be, I mean, it's really neglected. It's only 14 out of 365 municipalities pass this, even though every single year they have an opportunity to pass it. So that's, that's one example. Um, another example is how we pay unemployment insurance. So unemployment insurance, this is this, you know, um, long time uh, state uh, partnership with the federal government so that uh, if people lose a job for no fault of their own, they can sustain income. It's good for businesses as well, because it means that uh, their employees aren't quite as desperate. They can get people who have a better fit uh, with them it, it, and their consumers uh, are able to still spend. Um, but it's a policy where from a just kind of historical accident from compromises that were made back in the 1930s, we don't pay the, the, the payments that are contributed by employers to the, the unemployment trust fund are not based on all the wages that people get. Uh, they're based only on the first $15,000 of an employee's wages. So that means somebody typically in a, a lower income community, uh, typically a smaller business who might be paying people just $15,000 who are part-time or maybe you know more than that if they're full-time, they only pay uh, on the first 15,000 and so does a big corporation who might have employees who are making 150,000. So what that means is that indirectly those businesses that are in the lower income communities or it might be smaller businesses are subsidizing the bigger businesses because they're all just paying on the first $15,000 worth of wages, but they have to, they end up covering much bigger wages in the case of the larger businesses. So this is something that could be corrected. It's called the taxable wage base is the kind of policy wonky term for it. And some other states, it's up at like 50,000 instead of 15,000. 
we don't really need to have any kind of wage base at all. We could have it taxed on the, all of the wages, in which case the wage rates, the, the rate of taxation on those wages would be a lot smaller. But instead, they keep it at this low $15,000 level, and it ends up casting the kind of relative burden of, of keeping that unemployment trust fund healthy a little bit more on the smaller businesses and the businesses in the lower income communities. So our paper kind of details this and you know advocates for raising that taxable wage base. Um, and then, then the last thing which some other states do, uh, but which Massachusetts doesn't do is uh, uh, with its uh, corporate minimum tax. And so what, what states have done over time, a lot of states have what this thing called a corporate minimum tax, which is kind of like a way, it's like a backstop on taxes. It's a way of saying, look, we need corporations to contribute their share. And we have trouble as a public, you know, there's all these ways that corporations have of getting out of their taxes. So let's have some kind of backstop to say you at least pay some amount. And in Massachusetts, that amount for now getting on about four decades has been $456. So whether you are, you know, Amazon or whether you are, you know, mom and pop uh, bodega on the corner, $456 uh, is at least is the minimum that you pay. And what some other states do is they say, no, you know, if you're a billion dollar corporation, your minimum should be higher, maybe 150,000 or whatever it is. That's what it is in New York. And so what we suggest doing is having this tiered corporate minimum where you say, okay, if your total receipts are, you know, in the millions or in the billions, then your minimum would also be higher than it would be for that truly small business. And that would mean more resources that can be invested in having good roads, good schools, all these things that we as, as households and we as businesses all, all depend on. Wow. Finn, thank you for that. Oh, yeah. no, you, I, you, once you get me going, I, I'm sorry if I... Yo, Finn, that was incredibly enlightening. And the number that jumped out to me, and I, I don't know, Reggie, you were about to address this, $456. Right. So... Amazon pays less taxes than I do as a as a single person as a single taxpayer in it, what what no no I mean Amazon I forget I don't know and we're not they keep it a secret it is a proprietary business secret we don't know how much biz, uh, Amazon actually pays in Massachusetts in corporate taxes mm. but we do know from some of their federal filings which total up for all the states that sometimes huge companies like Amazon pay zero. And this is why states have these minimum income taxes to say, hey, you, we can't track all of your accountants and lawyers and all their little tax dodges, but at least let's have some backstop on it. And it is, I mean, it is sort of $456 can be a, a, you know, a true burden for someone who's like young and starting a, a small company. That's like a, a significant amount, but it is, it is like a rounding error on the daily catering bill for some of the large mm -hmm. corporations. So it, it just right. doesn't make sense that it would be the same amount for both of those corporations. Absolutely not. And with, with that tiered approach that you talked about, or that you were recommending, what I would seem to be interesting about that is that, you know, a lot of the times you get the pushback from, um, from big business that, you know, that it, it, 
and we get nervous about taxing large businesses because we're scared they're going to move their jobs or things like that. Yeah. It feels like you're you're trying to strike a median, a balance between getting a, a, a proper amount of taxes, but also not necessarily pushing the burden on one group or the other. And it, that seems like appropriate for where a company may be. Was that part of the thought process in that recommendation? Um, corporations talk a lot about taxes and how significant taxes are, but most of the time taxes aren't really the thing which end up deciding the success or I mean it's a very small portion of a total in uh, expenses for for a corporation you know compared compared to you know the how much it costs for supplies and all, all kinds of other things and 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 you know why a corporation wants to be one place or another is often about what kind of markets are available there or what kind of skilled labor is available there and and taxes are sort of you know if they can, talk about how big the burden of taxes will be and and therefore have higher profits to give to themselves and their shareholders at the end of the day, then, I mean, that's what some people's full jobs are at some of these places, but it isn't necessarily real that it's the defining thing. You know, it's, it's worth considering. Got it. And to recap, um, so Finn's latest report, three progressive tax policies to help small businesses in Massachusetts recommends one, cities and states adopting the small commercial <laughs> entity property tax exemption, two, rebalancing unemployment taxes to spread across a larger base to correct for that error, and three, scaling minimum taxes to the size of the business. Is that right, Finn? Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Oh, thank you. All right, and uh, as we're talking about shares and we're talking about the size of business, I, I feel like we've heard a lot about um, this thing called the Fair Share Amendment, and we've heard a little bit more about how small businesses would be hurt by that. Your other report talks and takes a little bit more of a dive into these different types of classifications of business and what they would actually pay in terms of something like a policy like the Fair Share Amendment. Could you tell us a little bit about what the Fair Share Amendment is? So yeah, um, the Fair Share Amendment is something we're all going to be hearing a lot more in the new year because uh, in November, it's gonna be on the ballot for all of us to, to vote for it across the state. And what it is, is um, Massachusetts, which had you know one of the very first income taxes of any state back in you know, uh, the beginning of last century, uh, had, uh, had it in the constitution that, that it's 5%, well, it's not 5%, that has to be the same percent for everybody. It's not like the federal tax where they have graduated income tax where, where richer people, people with higher incomes pay a higher rate. Um, so, uh, so that's part of why in Massachusetts inequality tends to get a little bit worse. It's, it's a kind of like, a, it can be a lot of momentum around it, inequality because we don't have the tax system kind of uh, making sure that people with higher incomes pay a larger portion of their income in taxes. Um, in fact, in things like sales taxes, uh, people who are poorer tend to pay a lot more of their income in that. Uh, so, but the income tax can't outweigh that. Anyway, that's that's all all background for. Um, there's a uh, the ballot in November would say that for income, just the portion of people's income over a million dollars. So not 99.5 percent of us, but for for maybe about 20,000 uh, households in Massachusetts, they would pay an extra 4% only on that income 
over a million dollars. And the revenue from that would be dedicated to investments in education and investments in transportation across the Commonwealth. And this is something we're gonna hear a lot of debate, a lot of information and no small part of misinformation about uh, in the months ahead. And so um, one of the claims that are sometimes made is that, you know, oh, well, small business people can have high incomes or sporadically have high incomes. And, um, you know, partly because, you know, billionaires aren't, aren't so sympathetic. Small business people are a lot uh, more sympathetic. The, some of the people who are uh, opposing this proposal will, will say, oh, no, this is going to affect small businesses, and they'll use some of the kind of the tax categories as a way to confuse who's actually would pay this tax. And I think that's incredibly important to note. And as you said, about 20,000 households or tax filing units would be subject to fair share taxes. That's roughly the amount of folks that could fill the garden, TD Garden. Okay, it's less than Gillette. It's less than Fenway. I did, I did, I looked it up. That's the capacity of the garden, which is roughly, I think, 19,650 or so. So it's not a, it's not out of the 6.5 million folks roughly in the Commonwealth. That's a very small percentage who would be subject to these taxes. Yeah, I mean, a tiny percent, but a, but a group of people who have, you know, huge resources and ability to kind of sway public opinion. And one of the things that gets said is, you know, trying to equate those who would pay this tax with small businesses, which it, at some level is just on the face of it kind of ridiculous, because if you are making, and I mean taking home after you've paid all of your expenses, if your net profits at the end of the year are over a million dollars, and significantly over a million dollars enough to be a significant amount of tax, then you're not really what we think of as small, you know. Yeah. So at the face of it, it seems ridiculous. But there is a kind of um, a kind of arcane tax categories that make it possible for people to make this argument. And and the way that this argument works is that you know if if you're a small business, you generally um, instead of in you be, partly because you can't pay for all the accountants and lawyers, you you don't pay corporate income taxes. Instead, you're, you pay taxes as an individual. The, pa the, the, the profits get passed directly onto you and you pay them as part of your income taxes. And that means that you declare that business to be what's called a pass-through entity. It's like a partnership or an S corporation. Now, S is just the chapter of the tax code that it's that it's um, located in, or a or you know limited liability corporation. The, these kinds of, of things. But the whole thing is that the money gets passed through, and over the years, over the decades, these pass through corporations, because they've been so sympathetic as small businesses, they've gotten lots of uh, tax advantages at the federal level, which then get adopted by the state level, or some of them directly state, but there's all these tax advantages to being a pass-through company. And so if you were an extremely wealthy person, 
you get told by your tax advisors, hey, why don't you create a S corporation or a partnership or you can turn your horse riding stables into a S corporation or you can make this passive trust with your kids so that you can limit your taxes. So all of these ways that extremely high income people have also taken on these originally intended for small business kind of techniques. And then because of that, it means that people can point to um, statistics that say lots of the people who have these high, high incomes are also passed through taxpayers. But that shouldn't confuse to mean that small businesses are people with incomes over a million dollars. It just means that the extremely high income people have taken some of these tax advantaged kinds of structures that were originally meant for small businesses. Th does that make sense? You know, it it's definitely uh, intricate and it's definitely something that I think uh, a lot of folks would appreciate learning. You know, for me, as I've said before, um, in some of our meetings, Finn and Greg, I'll share this with you. The only way that I keep keep up with what gross versus net means is a Drake lyric, actually. So enough to make you throw up, man, it's gross what I net. <laughs> so like gross, <laughs> right? It's off, of wor it's off of worse behavior from folks who remember that era of Drake music. But God bless, God bless pop culture. <laughs> right? I, I, but you know, like gross is how much you make. Overall, net is how much you take home after taxes. And if a lot of these small businesses are not taking home or netting over a million dollars, but these pass-through corporations and these LLCs or whomever are able to kind of shift their burden to work work their pockets, but it shortchanges the rest of us, we're really going to be in a, in a pickle, you know, past 2022 and beyond as we look at this pandemic recovery. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was motivated to start doing some of this research because I heard some people saying, you know, oh, look, you know, 70% or whatever it is, a majority of those who would pay the fair share taxes have some kind of pass-through income coming in. And they're trying to say that means they're small businesses. And so we were able to, you know, kind of crunch the numbers and find out that, you know, less than six, less than 3%, you know, just 2.6% of all uh, of all those with pass through income have over a million dollars in that uh, in in total income of all sorts coming in. So, you know, more than 97% of pass through income people don't would not be paying this tax, even though, you know, some small percent would be it's just important to to not let, you know, these these things confuse us when we think about, well, who would actually be contributing more of their sh share of, of money towards our education, towards our transportation systems that we rely on here in Massachusetts? When you're thinking of kind of the, the, the when you're putting these papers together to get, this, to get this information out to people, is it is it one of those things when you're thinking about the recommendations where you're, where you're trying to figure out the best way so that, that everybody is paying their fair share or their, or everybody is being served or the overall, or is it your, are you thinking about one particular group? You know what I mean? As what, who, what is the, the motivation in some of the, the recommendations um, when you're, when you're coming up with them for the best path? The Massachusetts budget policy center, um, you know, tries to have policies, which, which make us uh, have, uh, you know, be a, a prosperous 
uh, a prosperous commonwealth and one which has greater equity, you know, le less of these really disparate inequalities in uh, in the state, whether it's by, by race, by, by income, by community. And taxes is something which, which can often be this very kind of dry, like, oh, don't, don't want to think about it, but it's also something where it's there every year. It's always kind of working in the background. So often the just like how much people have to contribute to their community, to the things that we do together as a community, if that's drawing more from certain people than other people, then over time, it sort of defines who has power and who has those resources. So we think of that as, as really important and kind of crucial to having a more equitable commonwealth and and when we think about you know tax policy that way the the rules there you know just just fundamentally like we talk about um policies or taxes that are more progressive or regressive and sometimes people talk about progressive as just meaning like you know that that's more has a political or cultural meaning but but from an economic point of view it 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 has a very kind of standard clear definition where you know a, a taxes are progressive if those people with higher income are paying a larger share of their income in taxes and taxes are regressive they're they're making inequality worse if people with lower income pay a larger share of their income in taxes and unfortunately in Massachusetts, overall, our state and local taxes are, are regressive. They make inequality worse. Um, so, you know, th those who have the, the highest income, those who are, are sort of in the top 1%, they tend to pay about 7% of their, of all of their income in state local taxes, combined state and local taxes every year. While those people who are in the kind of the, the bottom, the bottom uh, fifth pay more like 10% of their income in state and local taxes. They pay less in taxes, but compared to, but as a portion of their income, it's a bigger chunk. And part of that is just because they have to spend all their money. So things like sales taxes make a lot more, take a much bigger hit. If you're, you know, making tens of millions of dollars, you're putting it in trust funds here, you're putting in investment accounts, all of those kinds of things have all of these tax advantages where they're not taxed at all. So even though they may, you know, pay higher sales taxes on, on their Bentleys or whatever, they're as a portion of their income, it's a much smaller amount. So that's how we think about generally wanting to have more progressive taxes to have taxes be as a force year in and year out have more equity, more equality, rather than regressive taxes, which widen our inequalities. So then I guess my question is, you know, as we're hearing you lay out these, these recommendations, what is it that we can do, you know, that Mr. and Mrs. John Q. Public, uh, or, or, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Massachusetts, what can we do to kind of support making some of these changes? It's a great, I mean, I, I think partly it's just pay attention to thinking about you know these kinds of policies that are that may sound very dry or operating in the background somewhere to pay attention to kind of connect those things to the inequality around us that that we may you know we hopefully want to change and then and then there are you know opportunities to uh to weigh in whether it's to you know sort of telling your your local lawmakers whether it's voting on 
things like the fair share amendment, which will be coming up in November. Um, you know, th those are the, they're all opportunities and to think of it in terms of like, you know, to, to sort of ask the questions, you know, like, okay, maybe that sounds good. And it always sounds nice to have a tax break for everybody, but, but don't we need to bring together the resources for the things we want? And someone's going to have to pay for that. So why shouldn't it be this, these people? You know, th those kinds of questions I think are just important. I, I couldn't agree more, Finn, you know, as you know, as we often say at mass budget policy is the lever that we can pull to really restore equity and to make the Commonwealth more just and equitable for everyone. And it's not lost on us, you know, for the listeners uh, from King Boston's community or from mass budgets community that a lot of these conversations by design are ones that many of us are left out of, you know, we haven't had the traditional access or opportunity to engage. So we're really excited to have Phineas on today to talk and to share and to really uh, clarify some of these issues. Uh, so thank you, Finn. Yeah, it's been a pleasure being here. Yeah, listen. Great talking to you guys. Finney, Finn has definitely um, enlightened me. I think that he's going to be our go-to numbers person when we have these questions. We have to, we have to listen. We need, a, we need some answers. Let's get Finn on the, let's get Finn on the horn, man. That's you can tell I love talking about this stuff. I think it's really important, and it's um, it's been great talking with you guys about it. I appreciate it, and I appreciate, it. and I appreciate that you taking the time with this, and then also just being able to to explain it because I think there's so many people who just don't know. Like Reggie just said, like people just don't know, and they don't understand that these things are existing. And maybe if we we can get the word out, then maybe folks can step up and make a decision about which way they fall on the issue. Some, you know, it's a difference between you know not agreeing with something or not even knowing it exists. And I think that, I think some cases, some people right. don't know that. And I, I want us to, to at least be a, a megaphone to be able to get the word out. So hopefully we will have some more things that you guys are working on over at, at Mass Budget that we can come back and talk with you about. But I appreciate appreciate you coming with us and, and talking today. Thank you, Greg. And for listeners, the two reports that we mentioned, the first being the Fair Share Amendment helps small businesses, public investment, S corporations, and million dollar incomes in Massachusetts. And secondly, three targeted, three, excuse me, three progressive tax policies to help small businesses in Massachusetts are both available on massbudget.org if you're interested in more information. Phineas, thanks so much for joining us today. And we'll catch y'all next time.